Live from Deerbur, this is the Locktoon Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. Today we're covering Chapter 16 and Chapter John 1918 of Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Even though we're covering only these two chapters today, this section is a beast because Chapter 16 is massively long and there's a ton to talk about in this bit. Nona and Hot Sauce sneak away from school to watch the Nine Houses broadcast. There's a bunch of fallout from that. And then John and his BFFs find out why the money was pulled from their project way back pre-apocalypse. Yes. And if you want to support artists in the Locktoon fan community, you can do that on our website, locktoonpod.com slash fan merch. We have a lot of really great creators whose stuff is linked on our site. And if you want to support us here at the pod, You can find stickers, pins, and magnets on our website as well, and personalized cards that myself or Amy will personally write to whoever you want. So go ahead and check that out. But Amy, before we jump in, (laughs) some questions for you. Oh, yeah. What is Ianthi's favorite beverage? No idea. A Nibirious. (laughs) A Nibirious. A uh, Corona specifically. Oh, uh, of course. And oh my God, I should have. Of course. <sighs> but aside from that, you know, Ianthi is a little bit of an outlier. What mm. is the main cocktail of choice of the nine houses? And I'm not totally sure you're going to get this reference. So it's either really going to hit or it's not going to hit at all. Hit me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is the main cocktail of the nine houses? It is a Nonagroni Spagliato. <laughs> With Pratesilaus. <laughs> that was really bad. Okay, it's a stretch, but I will say I, I do get it. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're not gay, you might not get this joke. And even if you are, mm. you also might not get this joke because you just have to be <laughs> on the internet at the exact right time for this joke to hit. But if you are confused, just Google Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco (laughs) Game of Thrones. Like, if you Google that, you'll find the clip. (laughs) All right. I actually really loved that one. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in and finish day three. I don't know if we mentioned that this is the end of day three, and it really kind of goes out with a bang. So... Chapter 16 is kind of a beast of a chapter in that just it kind of goes from being this story about Nona and her found family and going to school and eating breakfast to like U-turn fucking (laughs) – like I – when I started this book and I was like, okay, Gideon's probably, you know, still dead off here. Like, Anthony's probably doing this. This is what's happening here. Like, this is the chapter where everything got totally blown out of the water. So. Yeah. I mean, up until this point, we've read a lot about breakfast. We've read a lot about, like, so the family, the, like, found family dynamics. We've we got a sense of the world that they're on and through that, all these kind mm-hmm. of context clues about what might be the larger picture of of Mm -hmm. what's going on and it's not until this chapter that for me I was like oh okay great here we go (laughs) rev the engine I mean like I enjoyed the book up until this point but it is chapter 16 is a real turning point in terms of like the amount of action that is jam-packed on every page yeah, and this kind of reminds me, I feel like in Hero the Ninth, the chapter that really did this is when Harrow runs into Cam on that planet 
and you see Judith and Corona Beth, and it's just like, wait, what? Yeah. It's kind of that same, like, <laughs> we thought it was a story about a bunch of old people on a space station walking around <laughs> and being mean to each other, and then it, like, z- the camera zooms out, and you're like, holy fuck. Yeah, there's <laughs> so a whole other story. Yeah. yeah, whole other story, right? Like, a whole other book could be written with everything that's happening off screen. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, obviously continues in this book. So great chapter. And it starts off, I guess we'll say that at the beginning of the chapter, there are all these, you know, there's always like a little decal. And the decal Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this chapter is a picture of a tower, which I think is Mm -hmm. the first time that we see that decal, right? I didn't go back and check, but I will say that we start to hear more and more about the tower. And this decal, I think, is specifically referring to the fact that they're talking about the tower princes. Yeah, who are Kiriona Gaia and Ianthi Nabarius, but we'll get there. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) But as you'll recall, like in in the last chapter where we left off was that no one had come to pick Nona up. So she participated in nap time. (laughs) Then we had a jaw chapter. And so now this chapter starts with Nona waking up from her nap. Nobody Mm -hmm. has picked her up. And the way that she's woken up is that Honesty barges into the room and tells everyone that the zombies are screening a video. Right. And the nice lady teacher has gone home to check on her parents. So it's just the angel. And basically, it ends up just being the crew. So it's Born in the Morning, Beautiful Ruby, Kevin, Hot Sauce, and Nona are the only people left. And Honesty, of course. (laughs) How could I forget? Sorry. (laughs) And Honesty all gather in this room and they're talking about this broadcast. Yeah, and the angel basically makes them all promise not to go. And everyone does promise not to go, even though they all sort of like put up a little fight. But Nona notices that when Hot Sauce makes her promise, she crosses her fingers. That's like that thing that little kids do that <laughs> that they think is yeah. just going to allow them to lie as much as they want. I definitely I did this. <laughs> 100%. But then the angel, you know, it's clear that the angel is pretty distressed about what's about to go down. They've been through this before. And so she is like, all right, let's just cancel school. We're going to have like a fun day instead. She closes all the windows and she has them all drawing animals. That's like their idea of a good time. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone draws Noodle except for Nona, who I think... The line says something like, she draws what she thinks an animal should look like. Yeah, on best principles. (laughs) (laughs) On best principles, which is funny. It's funny because we're going to get a description of this animal, I think maybe even like next episode that we do in a couple of chapters. But I do think it's really funny that one of the biggest sort of debates I see online, we've gotten listeners writing in about this i've i've seen it everywhere is people debating what this animal is and i think it's very funny that of all of the many many things in like (laughs) mysteries in this book the fandom really really likes this animal drawing (laughs) yeah yeah and i think the going what is the going theory like i feel like there's like a consensus around what so someone probably is. Yeah. So someone wrote in saying that there's a whole electophant theory where we're going to have to like figure out who came up with this, but that electo wants to be an elephant. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> we can get into this more when they actually describe the drawing. But 
I also randomly saw like platypus, which huh. makes literally no sense if you read the description of what this animal is. Huh. A platypus or a, a platypus? What's sorry. a platypus? Sorry, a platypus. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're right. A platypus doesn't make any sense because it's maybe not an actually <laughs> a platypus would make sense. Platypus, however. <laughs> Doesn't really make sense at all. Yeah, we uh, we won't belabor this convert. There's going to be a lot to talk about regarding this maybe elephant, maybe platypus in the next episode. But it is an important thing that we had had to name here because we're going to come back to it, and it's going to be actually a really big part of kind of a chain of events that occurs right. after this. And so the general vibe of the room right now is like really weird. It kind of reminds me of like a snow day almost when like maybe like half your class shows up for school, like not even a snow day, but it's just kind of like a bad weather day. Maybe not everyone has showed up. And so like the teacher's like, well, let's just fuck around. And I feel like for the kids, that's the vibe. But the angel is clearly pretty upset. Mm-hmm. I was kind of looking at the kids like, man, you're all just kids and you're behaving and like all of this is going to come to an end tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. nothing will be the same after this. Right. Because the angel, as much as we find out later that like she doesn't know that Nona lives in the building and she she does, obviously doesn't have like a ton of kind of basic information that the reader has. She does know more than the kids know right now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, she's an adult and she's mm-hmm. been through these resettlement type things before when the nine houses show up. So right, she's been through it before in some way. She knows what the outcome is going to be and it's just a real bummer. <laughs> right. So eventually Hot Sauce and Nona go to take Noodle out to pee and Hot Sauce since she had crossed her fingers, thinks it's okay <laughs> to go to the broadcast and it won't be lying. And it's interesting because Nona says, but Hot Sauce, the angel won't trust us after this. And then Hot Sauce says, the asset doesn't have to trust you. It's weird because asset, I feel like that's like a blood of Eden term for the angel. And it's weird to me that Hot Sauce is referring to the angel as the asset here. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we talk about how these kids are like parroting things that they've heard, Mm -hmm. either in like you know, I don't know, are movies a thing? (laughs) Or like, you know, the people around them where Hot Sauce is, we already know, running with a pretty radical crowd. So I'm sure she's heard this language before. Mm -hmm. It's clear that she's either read this phrase, right? I can almost see a how-to book on how to protect an asset, like a person. Step one, the asset doesn't have to trust you, (laughs) you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it is. It makes sense to me that Hasas would be using this terminology and that she's sort of taken the angel and put her in this role that the angel doesn't even know that she is the asset to Hot Sauce. Right. Because this is the bit also where Hot Sauce tells Nona that when the angel arrived in the car that morning, that someone had gotten out of the car and kind of done a once over of like all the doors to the adjoining buildings and in the alleyways. So Hatsas has seen that the angel is obviously important to some group of people because they're they're, you know, sort of professionally looking over the area to check for any issues to protect her, presumably. Yeah. I also thought this was interesting, Mel, that in this bit, Nona lies and says I'm not scared of anything 
says, I'm not scared of anything, lied Nona. And it's this is not the first or last time that I that Nona lies. And it's interesting to me because this was really like hammered home how much Electo can't lie in Hera yeah. the Ninth. But she, I mean, Electo as Nona can lie. Yeah. I had that same thought. And I think she's withholding parts of herself that are Electo. That becomes clear later on, too, when she turns a corner and Mm -hmm. becomes full-blown Electo. So it is interesting that the part that is being held back is like this inability to lie that, in fact, allows her to lie, which is funny. There's also a really interesting moment here where Uh Hot Sauce is like, all right, we're going to go to the broadcast. And Nona's like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. And then she said, like, she's kind of turning this over in her mind and... The sentence is, she had some vague notion that when you committed to a thing, you had to do it all the way. Who had said that to her? Who had taught her that? Once you've stepped in, said the voice in the back of her head, you're in. This isn't the hokey pokey. But she can't remember who told her that. And so what is this a memory of? It was absolutely John. (laughs) This was definitely John talking about how he'd committed to his whatever, like, this is also so John personality-wise, just like yeah. black and white, all in or all out. Totally. Like, you know, when he nuked the entire planet and then proceeded to kill every other planet in the solar system, I feel like this phrase comes like as he's justifying, you know, his actions. Well, if you committed to the thing, you got to do it the whole way. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example so. of, a, of a moment where he committed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's also, it's funny because in for a minute, I kind of thought that maybe this was related to the original Lictors and their right. Cavalier Necromancer pairs, where they're learning to become Lictors and how you really have to commit to it in order for it to work. You have to go the whole way. If you pull out, you're going to kill your one of you or both. Uh-huh. So I also was thinking it could be part of... She could have heard it then, too, but it is most likely John just justifying his assholery. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think it is also the first time where, like, she's had all these dreams of things from the past, but this is the first time that in her waking moment she's remembered something, and she, you know, kind of comments on that. Right. And it's sort of, I think, she's going down this path of Nona dying, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, as she starts to unravel, her truest self and memories are starting to surface. And so Mm -hmm. this is just kind of part of that trajectory. Right. So they do end up making it to the square where they're going to have this broadcast. They find a spot like up on a traffic light pole to get a good view. They've sort of set up this projector screen, it seems like. And they start streaming this broadcast. The projector screen like isn't working at first. So all we hear is words. And this is just that it's just this moment. I remember reading this for the first time and I totally didn't understand anything that was happening here the first time I read it. I didn't I didn't get it at all. No, I didn't understand who was talking. I mean, I know that it says like Iante and Kiriona, but like I just didn't really I didn't understand the situation. So let's just go through it was, what happens. Yeah, it was very confusing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the first thing that the voice is talking about, so this is before we can see who is speaking, they are essentially saying, y'all need to 
chill the fuck out. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you need to stop rebelling against the rule of the houses. Those of you who are committing acts of terrorism are going to be killed. <laughs> and those mm-hmm. of you who aren't will give you a pass. But it's this very formal, it reads as though someone is reading from a script so that this has oh, been yeah. kind of said before in different instances. And it seems like whoever's saying this, well, they also say that they're going to print all of this out and post it around the city. <laughs> they're basically reading off of a contract, a list of terms. And it seems like the reward for following all of the terms is, I quote, his offer of a break in that contract. So I think what the deal is, is basically the emperor is offering Nero, this planet, a break in the contract that they set up, which is basically just the nine houses are in charge. So he's offering some sort of break in that contract if everyone kind of stands down, if Blood of Eden stands down, if all of the nine nine houses people are returned to the barracks. That seems to be like the reward. His offer of a break in that contract is entirely contingent on what you do now. Interesting. How I'm reading this is that, yes, there was a contract Mm -hmm. drawn up over 700 years ago. Right. Right. And so I think I don't actually, have we talked about this on the pod before? I think so. About how the emperor and the houses, they come in to kill a planet and then they resettle everyone and they have the government or whatever sign these contracts that basically say they won't be beholden to this once the emperor dies. And... The catch is that the emperor is undying. And so these contracts are just always in place. Right, right. So it's this fucked up kind of manipulation that's going on. And so that's the type of contract that is being referred to Mm -hmm. here as already existing. But what I'm reading is that the voice is saying that we're drawing up an agreement right now about what you cannot do in terms Mm -hmm. of like terrorism and what will happen if you are charged with terrorism. And so Mm -hmm. that's the agreement that is being communicated here and that is going to be transcribed and and posted around the cities. Right. And so if these agreements are not being held to, then the whole agreement is null and void and the population will be punished. They'll be treated as though they have been an accessory to murder or performed a coup or mm-hmm. whatever. And so I I am confused about the offer of a break in the contract because that seems different to me from what is communicated before then. Right. It does seem like they are kind of offering to allow like democratic elections. Mm. I mean, who knows how empty these promises actually are. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what this place was like before the start of this book, but yeah, I I feel like the kind of the spirit of this offer is we're going to let you guys have more control over your own shit if you follow these rules. Right. Okay. I think that makes sense. That's the break in the contract. Yeah. A little bit more quote unquote freedom. Right. So as, you know, we hear all of that and then all of a sudden the equipment is fixed. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get a description of the person talking. Uh-huh. Yeah. So first of all, I I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna share a little bit about what that description is. So at first the description is that this person is seated at a desk. They're looking mildly annoyed, but perhaps 
Like that was their normal expression. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's one clue. They're also wearing a white cohort uniform. It seems it's very polished. It's not dirty at at all. They are frighteningly pale of skin and their Mm -hmm. hair alarmingly perfect in shape and form. Mm -hmm. It also says that Nona had never seen hair like that. Like it's been sculpted and not grown. Right. And that it was a rich middling brown, Mm -hmm. thick and shiny, even beneath the strong lights that had been aimed at it. So there's like some sort of like pomade in there. And the expression that this person has on is one of intense boredom, even though their body language betrays more interest than what they're showing. Their lips are pale, but they are also shiny. (laughs) Like someone had applied gloss. Huge giveaway. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then there's a description of the eyes, which Nona thinks are quite pretty. They are blue with brown bits. This was very confusing on the first read. (laughs) Mel, I have a confession. And that is that the first time I read this book, I just totally missed that this wasn't Iante's body. Totally. Same. I guess I just totally missed the brown hair thing. Totally went over my head. I just read the rest of the book very confused about why. Yeah, I think until the very end, like that altercation between Cam Mm -hmm. slash Pal and Nibiru's body, Iante. I just really just thought it was Iante. So <laughs> wait, even when Nona says something like it's seems like Corona's boyfriend or something. Well, I just like I feel like Nona's kind of perception of gender yeah. is yeah a little bit. I you know yeah. I mean it's it's so this is very brilliant for a a lot of reasons, both Uh like functionally, like there is a reason why Ianthi is using Nibirius's body here. Right. And also this just throws the reader off. I mean, it threw me off completely. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the reason why I didn't know it was Nibirius's body right away is because I didn't want it to be. I was like so ready for (laughs) Ianthi to be back that I was just like, I read that first line in the description that... She was looking mildly annoyed, but perhaps that was the normal expression. And I was like, oh, this is Ianthi, no doubt. And so it didn't hadn't even occurred to me. I didn't even, I don't think I even internalized the whole rest of the description here. So you're not alone in that. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. Yeah, it really took me like a long time. And I, I remember having to like kind of go back at yeah. one point because I like just hadn't, I'd missed so much because I hadn't understood this <laughs> that I like didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. With that whole fight with yeah. yeah. Even yeah, even the boyfriend thing. I just completely I just like thought it was Iante's body. Yeah. Hilarious. So I mean but so to be clear, this is Iante yeah, in Nibirius's body. Right. Or like some I say in and I'm using that in like a really generous way. Like I don't know totally the mechanisms and we'll be able to talk about this much more when we mm-hmm. get to actually interacting with her. Mm-hmm. But this is Ianthi talking. She is using Nibiris's body. And it's super weird because I don't know, is he a puppet or what? But in whatever way that she's inhabiting his body, she was able to bring this ship through the river. But it also seems like she doesn't really have all of her necromantic abilities. It's super weird. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk talk about that when when the Mm -hmm. showdown happens, because it's very interesting. And Mm -hmm. for now, you know, similar to us, we don't really know what's happening here, how this is possible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think neither does anyone else, especially because 
Varun is there. And so everyone on this planet is like, how is a necromancer here functioning in this way? Right. So they're like doubly shocked by that. So after we get this description, she continues speaking and she essentially is like saying (laughs) she's she's saying a few different things. But one of the main things she's saying here seems to be directed at Camilla and Corona potentially because I think specifically Corona. Yeah, specifically Corona, who's saying like if if you are a member of house personnel and you left your post and you haven't completely gone MIA, then you must come and present yourself. Mm-hmm. And you there's a grace period. We'll right. kind of we'll forgive you for that if you come in the next 24 hours, but if you don't, you know, Right. It's going to be problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this is specifically referring to, or she's specifically talking to Corona about, I think she's also talking about the sixth house and Camilla and whatever, but also it's not clear. Well, I don't know. I don't know how she knows Corona Beth is with them, but she must have some. Yeah. Because they would have attacked the ships and gotten Gideon's body. So they probably have some idea of who of who is still alive and who's with Blood of Eden. So Definitely. Yeah. And so she's sort of closing out her little speech here before the big reveal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she basically says, All right, Nuro, we don't, you know, we don't have no desire to end you. And the rebels of Ur did not follow these rules and so they saw their end and like we don't want that for you so behave essentially and then she she closes this part out with i say this with all the authority invested in me as prince ianthi Niberius the first the lictor mm-hmm. prince the saint of awe and that to me was like really confusing title the saint of awe i got it because jod had essentially named her that but this prince, Ianthi Nibirius, the first, the Lictor prince, like that was confusing to me. Yeah, I thought this was really weird. First, I mean, obviously, like there's a lot of gender fuckery in this book, but it's weird because prince is the masculine term for this position. And it, it is kind of weird to me that they're princes, especially since there's obviously no like we, like house thing that this is specific to because in... Harrow the Ninth, when there's that dream sequence where Harrow's at the ball and the princess is trying to find a Mm. partner. So I think, I mean, who cares? I think it's probably just (laughs) because it's cool. But it is, it did kind of trip me up because I was so confused about who this was. Yeah. (laughs) That, yeah, it was, it was a little bit weird. The Lictor Prince. And yeah, it's, I mean, this part is really, really confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Also, just to keep tabs on the sort of the settlement planets that we, the current sort of resettlement planets that are in play right now, we have New Row, which is this planet we're on, Ur, which they say that they've subdued, but it sounds like, according to some audience member later, that Ur is still fighting. And then Antioch, which is a very confusing place where it's, I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah, lots of shit is going down on Antioch. And mm-hmm. I think that Antioch might show up more prominently in in Electo, for sure. Yeah. So this speech happens, and then (laughs) the camera turns. Yeah. So Prince Anthony Nibirius is sitting at a desk. 
and the camera shifts to another person who is sitting right next to her. And I don't know about you, but I like kind of lost my shit when this happened. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I think this is probably part of why I never really understood what the Anthe Nibiria situation was because I didn't give a single shit as soon as I got to this (laughs) section. (laughs) I was suddenly like deeply unconcerned with Ianthe in general. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But I will also say what on first read, I thought that this was a puppeted version of Gideon. Yeah, same. For almost the entire book until the very end. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, And with good reason, the description of this person screams puppet right they're very pale they kind of look like waxy and to be fair they are like Gideon is dead in some sense of the word so they look like a dead person basically who's animated and also the reason that I thought that this wasn't Gideon is because they're like Gideon's personality is almost completely unrecognizable from Gideon in the other two books Yes. For almost the entire time that we spend with Gideon in this book. so Right. And, and most of us are outraged by that and like deeply disturbed by it because we came into these books loving them. Mm-hmm. A big part of that was Gideon and the way that mm-hmm. that first book is written as this like kind of like hilarious, dark comedy thing. And, right. And this is absolutely not the same Gideon. And we... We'll be able to talk about this more, too, once we're interacting with Gideon more. But in almost the opposite way that Ianthe is not described as herself physically, but Mm -hmm. you can pick up who she is based on some of the other descriptions around, like, her bored-looking face and stuff like that. Here for Gideon, the description, the physical description is Gideon, but the vibe, the vibes are off. The vibes are <laughs> so off. They are rancid. It says their crooked mouth was set in a serious, bloodless line, and their face held no expression at all. It was a grim mask and a forbidding face with about as much animation as the portrait in We Suffer's office. LOL. Ironic. The only alive thing about the second person was their hair, neatly arrayed with a wreath of finger bones and white spring-like blossoms, wildly red hair. Red enough to make the electric hexagon struggle with it. Yeah, so... It was the face of the girl in her dream. <laughs> yes, it was the face of the girl in her dream. Gideon. And we finally get... Com- I mean, we kind of knew this already. But yeah, ev- this girl she's been dreaming about is Gideon. Yeah. It says, it was the face of the girl in her dream and their eyes. And then it just cuts off. But her eyes are confirmed to be the yellow eyes, right? Yeah, I think so. And... Again, this is such a well-done description. Mm-hmm. I just think about how the writing here is so good. And Nona kind of describes it as a picture of the face that Camilla and Palamides had drawn for her, but much more serious, so lifeless, so slack, like the girl was sleeping with her eyes open. That mm-hmm. again, even Nona says, like, looks like pretty much unrecognizable, and yet it is, it is her. And if... To confuse things even more, mm-hmm. <laughs> the camera swivels back to Ianthe, and I- Ianthe says, the emperor has sent no intermediary to vouchsafe you. Mm-hmm. All these promises are made by no lowlier personages than myself and her most serene highness, 
Crown Prince Kiriona Gaia, heir to the first house, the emperor's only daughter. And did <laughs> <laughs> this is so, but it was so confusing because this was cleared up by many New Zealand readers later. But Kiriona is a, just a, the transliteration of the name Gideon in, I might be butchering the pronunciation, but Te Rio, the Maori language. And then Gaia is Earth. So it basically is. It's it still means Gideon, but at first reading, I was like, "Wait, is this? Does Gideon have another sister? Does Gideon have?" <laughs> like, I'm so confused. I've also seen it's it's interesting because I've seen a lot of conversation about this name, and I mm-hmm. think people who don't have the information or like know that it's the Maori transliteration of the name Gideon mm-hmm. think that it's a feminized version of Gideon's name and that's not mm. actually what's going no. on here it ends in an a and i think that's why people are confused and i even at first read i was i like hated this i was mm-hmm. like Gide- gideon i almost had like gender dysphoria for gideon <laughs> I was like, on behalf of Gideon, I just feel so uncomfortable with this. But that's not what's <laughs> that's not what's going on here. It is it basically Jod renamed Gideon to be more aligned with his heritage. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think Wake, when in Kithrea's body at the end of Harrow, does they they do refer to. Sorry, it's not just then. It's in general, people refer to Jod as Gaius, John Gaius. So this it all kind of makes sense once you know. But at this time, it was like, you're like, oh my God, it's Gideon. And then you're like, wait, what? Is this yeah. Gideon? Who the fuck is Kiriona? <laughs> yeah. And what did she do with Gideon? <laughs> yeah. I also think Kiriona is such a beautiful name for such a sad, sad, sad girl. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So says the emperor undying sent nothing less than his own tower princes dun, dun, dun. as gracious tokens of his extreme love and concern so the tower is a big question mark for me at least i don't get i don't know what it is i don't really have like a super developed theory on what it is but a presu- i mean this seems to imply that jod is like aware of the tower and like knows what the tower is yeah, it's really weird because I feel like up until the, these books, I don't think of these books as super fantastical, even though they're fantasy. Like, or when I say fantastical, what I'm referring to is like dragons, knights, swords, like the kind of medieval, the kind of fantasy that's based on like medieval Europe. Right. Is like definitely not these books at all. Yeah. And there's always this sort of like, clear explanation of our present day earth and how it kind of transformed 10,000 years into this like other sort of mm-hmm. intergalactic society. Right. It's such a space, spacey kind of based book. For some reason, Tower throws me off. I'm like, yeah. this, this feels like dragons to me and I don't mm-hmm. like it. And so it's, it's weird because there's all this language being used, like Prince and like Ianthi Nibirius, right? That is not, we're not used to it in these books. And so Tower Princes is this other, like this new language that's being used that kind of like, again, 
is really confusing to me. So I'm excited to like figure out what the fuck it is, but it's weird. It is. It's giving Knights of the Round Table. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Which, to be fair, like I could totally see Jod being like, all right, we're going to like reinvent some new mythology and traditions. Like Mm -hmm. I could see him doing that just because he can and because he's like trying to, you know, start a new chapter. You know, all his original lictors are in theory dead. So I don't know. It's weird, but this is the first time we hear about the tower. The decal is on this chapter. Weird times. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the broadcast. Absolutely chaotic, world-changing for us readers. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah. I do love that all this shit is revealed. We're like, what the fuck is going on? And then Ianthe basically, before the broadcast goes off, is like, that'll fix their little red wagons <laughs> or something. And then yeah. she's like, is this still on? And it's like yeah. hilarious, which by the way, I looked this up and the little red wagon idiom refers to a child's behind and the fix refers to the spanking. <laughs> so That's so funny because I always have heard this to fix their wagon as just like a, a like weird idiom for revenge or retribution but i guess either way i mean it is it then it's like it it, this idiom means that you know people will regret their you know behavior (laughs) (laughs) oh brother so you know so funny yeah it the is this still on thing it's like (laughs) tamsamir just can't help yeah she can't help herself (laughs) she can't help herself (laughs) which is great because we really needed that laugh because Mm -hmm. this passage was tough yeah on a lot yeah. of levels this the the audio i mean we say this all the time but the audiobook part of this was so good so yeah. good and hearing Ianthe come back via myra quirk's incredible acting was very very cool yeah so the broadcast ends there's kind of this growing sense of chaos building in the crowd it's like quiet at first but then people start shouting the militias trying to get people to move out of the square. And it generally just seems like bad, bad, bad vibes. Nona looks over and it seems like Hot Sauce is kind of on the verge of a panic attack. And Nona, in a very sweet moment, basically walks her through some breathing exercises, <laughs> just like kind of channels Cam and... They get out of there, but there are some shots that ring out behind them, and they ended up running through some alleyways, and then kind of out of nowhere, a car with a grill rolls up, and the angel sticks her head out of this car and yells at Nona and Hot Sauce to get in. Yeah. And then we have this whole other second, (laughs) what is, wait, what moment of this chapter where all of a sudden things are, seem to be a lot bigger than they originally seemed. Yeah. Wow. What a what a chapter. So right. So the angels rolling up out of nowhere and Nona basically is like, how did you know where we were? (laughs) And Angel's like, I'm not stupid. I've been circling the block since you all have left. Mm -hmm. There's also a little moment in here where Nona's like covered in blood and Hot Sauce says, oh, you know, Nona's been hurt. And Nona is trying to convince everyone she hasn't been hurt. It's someone else's blood it might even just be tomato sauce yeah and this is a problem because one of the main rules that nona has is you can't see have anyone see you getting hurt because of how fast you heal and that would freak everyone the fuck out and so this is kind of all happening and nona's 
doing her best. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much going on that it doesn't seem like anyone really pays much attention to it. And so as the angel, the angel isn't driving this car. Mm -hmm. This is important. The angel is, I think, in the passenger seat. And so once everyone is in, there's this conversation that happens between the angel and the driver. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's confusing because it kind of blows up. You know, we, you suspect up until this point that the angel is important, right? They've been building to that. But Mm -hmm. here we just get a lot of like, really confusing dialogue if you haven't already read the book right and my question here is i i think this is pash but it is weird because pash doesn't really comment on nona being there if it is pash but also like the way that that this person the driver is talking seems very pash like and also specifically we learn later that pash has basically been a bodyguard for aim for the angel right so i'm confused about this yeah i'm really confused about this too here's a few a few bits of evidence in favor of this person being pash mm-hmm. is that one they're salty as fuck yes. like they're they're really salty that they have to even watch the angel i think they even say like the angel's like, just drive like I don't need your commentary. I don't pay you for your opinions. And the driver says, you don't pay me anything. I'm here for my bloody sins. Yeah. And a few ch- a few chapters back when Pash is in the room with We Suffer, mm-hmm. there's this kind of whole thing around how like Pash didn't choose to be in the role that they are in, you know, watching mm-hmm. their the package or whatever. Right. And that like clearly they're kind of an asshole to their direct reports when they were in a different role and so maybe got pulled for that reason who knows but clearly they don't want to be watching the angel but they are and it's a very important role i think the other thing there's yeah the cadence their speech patterns Mm -hmm. so all of that seems to be in favor of this person being pash the stuff that maybe is against this person being pash to me is like pash knows who nona is so it's weird to me that they they don't acknowledge Nona at all. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they don't acknowledge Nona, but the real kind of thing that confuses me is that when Nona says where she lives, mm-hmm. the driver seems to be surprised as well right. in addition to the angel. And like, wouldn't Pash... Pash knows where Nona lives because Pash has broken into their house to get... Camilla, Pira, and Nona and brought them to wherever like hiding spot, you know, they bring them to. Right. So the only explanation for this is if Pash just like legitimately does not recognize Nona. Mm-hmm. Nona's got her hood up. You know, Nona probably wasn't speaking a lot in this. I don't think she speaks much at all in that meeting. So she wouldn't really recognize the voice and like Nona wouldn't recognize Pash's voice because Pash was wearing that crazy mask. The weirder thing here is that Nona hears the driver's voice here and then later hears Pash's voice without the mask on and says a voice that she didn't recognize. So I feel like the way this it would have been written if it was the same as the driver is like, oh, the, you know, the driver's voice from that day. So, right. I mean, it, I guess it doesn't really, really matter. This person obviously like knows that aim is very important and... Is not, but is also not super pleased about having to babysit. Yeah. So yeah, Pash or not Pash, 
Through this dialogue, we learn a couple other things. So the driver basically says, like, if people even knew this was how you spent your time, aim. Mm-hmm. Pretending you can bandage bipeds, teaching snot-nosed kids about particles. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Like, referring to humans as bipeds. <laughs> One. Yeah, well, remember that the the angel is a vet. So I think this is because I think she's kind of taken some of her veterinary skills and used them in the clinic for humans. So I think it's just kind of a mean dig at her, you know, not being used to working on (laughs) bipeds. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And then Hot Sauce is like listening to this conversation and is like, we love her. Mm Mm-hmm. And the driver says to the angel, now I see, chance to be her, huh? A little independent living for once. And then the angel responds, it is my enormous privilege to be they. Ugh, this is so, this is so confusing. Who the fuck is the angel? So this is some of the main (laughs) evidence that we have in the book. There's other stuff too later that the angel is a vessel for both, I think, herself, the person that we know. And also for something or someone or someone's else. So that she's not actually like the lictors. She's kind of a they. She has more than one soul inside of her. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We don't really know who that is. (laughs) This pronoun play is really fun here. Uh And yeah, really fun. It's interesting because when I, I read this like with the lens of, oh, like the angel wants to be referred to as she, her, but like for whatever reason in her other life, she is forced to be referred to as they, which to me is really funny as someone who uses they, them pronouns. Yeah. I'm like, it's the opposite. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's kind of cool that Tamsin flipped it around here. Right. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny. And then I think the other interesting thing that happens here is that as they're driving, Nona's really freaking out about the car ride because it's like really chaotic. There are all these like crevices. But Noodle is also sort of freaking out. Mm-hmm. And the angel tells Noodle to shut up and that they've been through worse. Mm-hmm. So Noodle has clearly been with the angel for quite a long time. And I, I'm wondering how long Noodle has, like, is Noodle also part of the message or is noodle just the dog companion to the angel or like what's going on with noodle right right so then the angel drops nona off at her building finally they let her right in the the gates so they obviously recognize her or this this car as a blood of eden car there are a bunch of people sort of standing around with guns and they like take one look at the vehicle and then just kind of like mind their own business it's very like <laughs> It's very interesting dynamics here, but this is, I think the more we read this and the more we talk about it, it's, it's obvious that this is like a blood of Eden safe house. Yeah. So. Yep. And Nona finally gets home after a very long day. She goes upstairs, opens the door and sees Cam there and runs to her, gives her a hug and then asks where Pira is. And Cam says that Pira actually left many hours ago to go pick her up from school. So Pira has disappeared. Pira's missing, y'all. And actually, at the beginning of day four, I think one of the things in the little descriptor is like, where is Pira? (laughs) We're all wondering, where is Pira? Where is Pira? (laughs) Yeah, really like jarring end to that 
chapter. What I know when on my first read, I was not expecting that to be the case. And I was very confused that Cam was home at all. And it just shows what discipline Cam has to not leave. Even when after many hours they haven't showed up, she knows she needs to stay in case they do come back instead of going out to look for them. Yeah. But yeah, we're missing we're missing our our hot Pira and mm-hmm. we'll figure out where they are in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of day three. It's interesting because they don't actually explain like, oh, we're going to bed. They usually have the whole bedtime fully described, but we just cut straight to a John chapter, which means that Nona's officially gone to sleep. The John chapter is John 1918, which corresponds to the letters S and R. So we've got the tower has... (laughs) Wait, what does it actually spell out in the end? The tower has... The tower has risen. Right, 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 right. So we're back in a John chapter, the beginning of this chapter. I I mean, this chapter is interesting, but the, the best bits I thought were actually at the beginning of the chapter when it's describing the dream. So John and Electo slash Harrow are watching the waters rise all around them. It seems like John is really afraid of the water and he's able to sort of lift parts of the land up above the water and he lifts this large concrete building surrounded by a bone wall out of the water. So... First of all, it's it seems like the building the he lifts <laughs> he lifts out of the water is the laboratory that they were working in that he had made the giant cow fence around and I think is also the facility. Like that will become the facility that we spend so much time in in Gideon the Ninth. Yep. Yeah, super weird. I thought this was weird because I'm a little bit confused about God's powers. Does he have control over all matter? He's telekinesis lowercase earth, not just like human body or like living things he seems to be able to physically move large pieces of dirt yeah i don't really know because if he could do this i guess yeah he's gained some new powers because obviously he couldn't do this before because otherwise he could have just made a wall out of freaking dirt right i mean there's probably a lot of dead matter in the ground right now just Mm. because he did nuke the whole planet so that could be part of it there's also like He's learning his powers, mm-hmm. and now he's at full power. At this point in the story, he and Electo have become lictory. Right. <laughs> and so he's able to do a lot more than he was before. Right. I actually totally missed him lifting the concrete building out <laughs> surrounded by a bone wall. I don't know how I missed that. Yeah, well, it's because it's kind of set a little bit offhand, but yeah, he, he physically lifts a large mass of land out of the ground. <laughs> it had been covered in water. I just, it's very strange, like what, I don't understand, like what he's actually able to do. But yeah. he does this. He like gives his power to the sun to like f- power the sun. So he's he's got a lot of sort of beyond necromancy powers. Well, when you kill nine planets. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. You can do easy anything. Easy Why do you think John's so afraid of the water? I don't know. I was wondering about that. Part of me was wondering if it was a reference to like Noah's Ark or like any of the old biblical stories around floods and stuff that kind of represent the end of the world or the apocalypse. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just right. Like it could also be related to the climate, maybe like trauma around Mm. climate change and how the water is rising and, and all of that. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. 
I wonder what, if you all have theories about that, I would love to hear them. Yeah, same. And then we find out, or John is explaining to Electo in the dream, how, continuing his story, this is the part where they find out where their funding had gone. So I guess, and Mel, correct me if you understood this differently, but basically what happened is that the trillionaires had figured out how to achieve faster than light travel. So like John's idea was to put billions of people in in like cryo cans and send them off to probably to Tau Cedai. And it would take many, many, many years, but they would be like frozen. So it would be fine. Mm-hmm. And the point of this is that then they could, A of all, they wouldn't have to build extremely expensive faster than light engines and also that they could fit like a bazillion people in. Yeah, they can fit the whole population of the Earth, which is really quite mind blowing. <laughs> he says we could have fit billions of people in right. these canisters. And so what is happening now and like what we're learning is that the trillionaires have like found some dude who is solved uh-huh. faster than light travel and instead they are going to staff those ships with a live crew so you can fit right. way fewer people and they're it's an expensive so they're only building like 12 ships and they are claiming that they're going to dump these people on Tau Cetai and then come back for more and there's this whole debate that I think mainly Augustine Mercy Morn and Jod are having about like how true this actually is. And Augustine is like, this isn't even possible. And is and is like, you haven't even really tested this. This is really dangerous. And Mercy Morn is like, they're fucking us. Like they're gonna abandon us. And mm-hmm. Jod is like, meh, no, they're not. They can't do that. That's like not gonna happen. And He's sort of in denial that this is what is taking place, that the trillionaires really are going to abandon them. And part of me wonders if one of the co- like root causes of his intense like revenge sort of orientation mm-hmm. is that he denied that this was going to happen for so long until it was far too late, even though you had Augustine and Mercy Morn telling him that this this was actually happening. Right. And it is in, in this bit to... Augustine and Mercy Morn are agreeing. And like we've seen before, when they agree, when they're kind of on the same page, that's when things are really real because they're usually arguing. But it turns out, yeah, that they that they are right in the end. Yeah, I think one other short, like quick thing that happens in this chapter or that is alluded to in this chapter is a conversation with Christabel and Jod, where right. through all of this drama... Jod is still also Mm. trying to figure out what he's capable of, the limits of his power. And he really wants to bring Ulysses and Titiania (laughs) back to life. (laughs) Titania, back to life. And he's able to get their bodies up and moving, but like there's no person there. I would think of it as like being a vegetable, like your body is still working, but you just aren't there. And even I think it says like the brain works, which is interesting, but no one's there. And so Christabel is convinced that that's because there is a soul. Mm -hmm. And Jod, of course, doesn't like this. He's like a scientist. He doesn't like believe in that shit. But that comes into play later between the two of them, Christabel and Jod. I finally realized something in this chapter because there are actually two C's. There's Cassiopeia and Christabel. He refers to Christabel exclusively like as the nun. <laughs> I think just because 
Tanzimir probably got to this point and was like, oh shit, we've got two seats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. Our nun. He also capitalizes our. Uh-huh. Our our nun. Capital yeah. O. <laughs> yeah, good nun. catch. Yeah, I so I think it's kind of funny. Oh, and then the other thing we should add here that comes up again mm-hmm. and that is referenced in this chapter is around the ability to have children after being in the cryo canisters. And so part of this ploy or like that Jod's explaining that the trillionaires are telling him that actually like your plan is not safe enough mm-hmm. and you haven't even fixed the maternity problem. And so right. clearly there's something going on in like if your body is frozen for that many years, they haven't figured out how to preserve what I'm assuming, like the ability for people to reproduce. I'm pretty sure that what the issue is, is that if you're pregnant, you can't be frozen. So they're saying that people would have I to see. terminate I if see. they wanted to get frozen. Got it. And Mercy Morn, because I mean, that is really fucked. Like Mercy yeah. Morn's like, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that was like kind of one of the points where they were like trying to figure things out. But it's not like the trillionaires in the past were concerned about that. John and crew were concerned about that. They were right. like, no, that's fine. People would just terminate and like, you know, whatever, <laughs> move on. And, right. and Mercy Morn's like, no, dude, <laughs> we can't ask yeah. people. So yeah. So these trillionaires are full of shit. <laughs> full of shit. They're being super hypocritical. Augustine and Mercy Morn are definitely on to them. John is kind of refusing to see because he just believes that like they're going to have to prove that they're building more ships and they're actually going through with this. So John's wrong in the end. Yeah. <laughs> John's John's instincts are a little off, I will say. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm kind of he's <laughs> he's funny. I just I just watched the new D&D movie, which I loved, of course, and <laughs> the main character in it, like at one point someone's like, "What do you even like what's your what's your role in this group? Like what do you do?" And he's like, "Oh, I just, you know, I make the plans." And I kind of feel like that's like Jod. Like I don't even know like really what he do- does. What is his expertise? What does he do? And it just seems that like he like makes the plans, and yeah. then when the plan goes wrong, he like makes the next plan. Yeah, it still infuriates me that Earth bestowed necromancy onto him of all the people of all the billions of people. Like not even Mercy Morn. I don't know. I'm just like. Whatever, it's fine. Yeah. But what do you, you have a note here about quotation marks. Oh, I was just, so after talking to Nikki and Stowe in the Homestuck podcast episode, one of the coolest takeaways from that for me was being able to like look at the way that quotation marks are used in these interlude chapters with John. And what we talked about is that when something is in quotation marks, it's like happening right now in real time like in the dream and that's usually like him talking to harrow but when it's not in quotation marks it's a memory so like if he said something and it's not in quotation marks it's because it's a memory of what he said and like they're viewing this memory and then at the end of this chapter i think basically they viewed this memory and then like in real time like ten thousand years later in this weird dream memory thing john says fuck and then starts walking around and having this little tantrum and she said i think she being harrow i don't remember and he says i can't forget Mm. so i think yeah it's just keep an eye out for when they use quotation marks i'm pretty sure that you know stowe and nikki were right in saying that this kind of like in homestuck 
separates when it's part of the dream that they're viewing versus how they're interacting in real time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that was a very long explanation. (laughs) (laughs) I will just say before we close out, it's we and we talk about this, I feel like almost every Jod chapter. Mm -hmm. But his little tantrum here where he's like screaming the word fuck and he's walking around, he's throwing his tantrum is still centered on the fact that these trillionaires were going to abandon Earth and not about Jod killing all his friends, nuking the world, killing nine planets. He's so, he did all of that shit Mm -hmm. and he is actually just fixated not on what he's done, but on these rich assholes abandoning the planet and the population. And I, you know, again, just driven by that more than anything else. Not healthy, but that closes out day three, which man, just like two chapters and really only one chapter with a little interlude chapter and everything is different. Everything Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Everything that we thought we understood (laughs) is no longer, but... Instead of Mel and I were talking and instead of doing normal audience question answers, we actually just wanted to put a couple prompts out there for future audience questions we'd love. We'd love your input. Basically, we have these questions. By the time this episode comes out, Mel will absolutely certainly be very busy with a new human being. So (laughs) we'll probably have a little bit of time. But what we'd love from you guys in the meantime is that we have – or at least I have two main questions about the ending of this book and like how to interpret certain things. And one of those is around the messenger. Yeah. So in chapter 29, we learn more ex- more explicitly that the angel is also known as the messenger or aim. And she says, I'm the messenger. We are the message. The message has two parts left and you are looking at one of those parts. The name for this part of the message was aim. AIM. <laughs> when the message was passed to us through my forebear, MSN. I hate that. <laughs> I love I it. I hate it. Um, the, <laughs> and then they close out and they say the message is too simple for human beings like us to understand. And so we just want to know from you all, like, what are your theories on what the fuck this message is? What is the message? Who is the angel? What are your theories on, like, what? her slash their nature is what is this message why is it msn i mean i get it i get it and i get aim and i i get it but also was every single forebearer a different like weird pun on like a messaging platform yeah what would what would have been before msn i don't know no what sap I don't know, dude. <laughs> Will the next messenger be called Live Journal? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Give us all your theories. Yeah, we we I think I I have a couple of thoughts, but I'd love to hear from people specifically with their thoughts on this question cuz when we get to the the next couple of chapters in the book and to the end of the book, these are the main questions that we want to answer. The other question that I have is people series. Like, what do you guys think the tower is? What do you think these crazy fucking creatures coming out of the tower are? Again, I have some theories, but it does seem a little bit random. And another famous Tamsin Muir sort of change up everything you thought was real is different. So... 
If you have a theory yeah. on what the tower is, I'd also love to hear that. Yeah. I also, I have one more question for everyone, and that is, what do you think Jod has done to Gideon's body? <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, good question. Right. Like, what? We'll, I mean, we'll get to the fucking damn ass Chussie situation, but <laughs> what what has happened with Gideon when Tamsin Muir said that Gideon is a happy meal and Harrow only ate the burger? What is the fries and the shake or the fries and the drink? Yeah. Like, what is? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> these are the specific. We we need a little help. These are these are the big questions. And if we get a million emails about Chessies, I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to thank you for your service. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, God. All right. Well, I think that's all for today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us. If you have any questions or comments, especially about the tower, the messenger, or Chessies, or want to point out something that we missed, send us a question on our website at locktoompod.com or on Twitter at locktoompod. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review us and tell your friends to listen. Your support really means a ton to us. And finally, thanks as always to Olivia Kay for our theme music. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktoom Podcast.